Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Golf on Tap. As you can see, we have a little bit different lineup this week with Jack out on vacation. We are joined making his Golf on Tap debut, the founder of On Tap Sportsnet, Tony Marchese. Tony, how are you doing today? What's going on, Ross? Happy to be here. Happy to be making my uh, Golf on Tap debut. Uh, we'll we'll christen it. We'll crack and we got a new intro. There's some there's some show news. Find this now in podcast form. It's a good day here at Golf on Tap. I'm happy to be in Jack's spot. I will preface: I am nowhere near the golf knowledge book that Jack Bushman is. So I hope I make him proud. Uh, we're gonna have some fun. There's probably gonna be a lot of drinking and and it's just gonna be like a normal golf round for me. But Ross, I'm really happy to be on these airwaves with you talking some some PGA Tour, and we've got a ton, ton of stuff to talk about today. How are you, my friend? Uh, I am, first of all, thrilled to actually be able to do a show with you and have you be a guest on our show. Like I said earlier, thank you for filling in for Jack. But like you said, we had a wild day today. Um, you and I already kind of drew up a plan on how we were going to do this episode, and news just kept dropping all day in the golf world so we have a loaded episode now um and you know one of the first things to really talk about is it continued again this past weekend on the pga tour we got another long shot coming up and taking the event from the normal guys that we did very unexpected i i sort of told you this before we hopped on here but this was this was a weird event, at least for me watching this. I'm I'm new to watching golf. I'll be completely honest. I've been doing it now for about maybe a year and a half, two years. But the golf channel's always on. I'm I'm getting really into these events. And we just keep seeing guys come out of absolutely nowhere on Sunday. Well, this week, Saturday. We'll we'll get into that in a second because I've got some questions for you in terms of the alternate schedule that uh, we had this past weekend. And I'm, I'm just curious how you felt about it. It really threw my week off. It really threw my week off. The whole entire thing was just, I didn't know what day it was this weekend. Uh, and it just, I didn't like it, but um, yeah, no, man. Uh, how did, how did this happen again? Once again, we've got another name that comes out of the woodwork and winds up your winner on Saturday, I've got to correct myself. I'm going to say Sunday at some point, but how did how did this happen again, Ross? So the first thing is I've seen so many posts that people have been putting out like this isn't the same PGA field. We're missing players, blah, blah, blah. But we're, realistically, we're, we're not. <laughs> I mean, you know, we had Tommy Fleetwood and Rory McIlroy were over on the DP tour again, but those are some big events for them yearly and like spawn and sponsorship things they have to do. Really. We had a lot of the best players were in this field again. It's just the young guys are not your traditional young guys coming up on tour right now. They are coming up from the corn Ferry tour or they're qualifying their way on the tour, playing the DP world tour, PGA Europe. And they're bringing their game with them, and their game is top tier already. We're not seeing that typical developmental cycle where someone has to grind it out for like three, four years on tour before they get some real success. Their game, they're being coached and taught that when they graduate from these lower tiers, 
and they come up, their game is there. Their game can hold up, and it proved it this weekend. I think you and I talked about if you looked at the leaderboard, the top ten, eight out of the eight out of like the ten are either fresh off the Corn Fairy Tour and in, in in like their third or fourth start on tour, or they've been on the PGA for like two or three years and haven't really had a lot of success. But now these past several weeks, they've been up there, and you can see that turn, which is the case with our winner, Matthew Pavan. Matthew Pavan has only played in 11 events. He was on the DP World Tour last year. This is only the third event with him having a official tour card. He's a winner. Ross, I'm looking at these names that you mentioned here in the, in the, in the leaderboard um, that finished it. And, you know, you can you can sort of name maybe two of them. I mean, I, I see Tony Finau up there, finished the uh, finished the week at minus 10. Um, and then uh, Xander Shoffley, uh, minus nine, uh, finishes right behind him. You can you can make a note on Hoygaard to finish in second place. I know we've got some you know, little tidbits on that one. But talk about all these DP World Tour guys. And I, I'm just curious from a from a golf fan perspective. I love watching the DP world tour, like late night golf, just, you know, it, it's, it's beautiful. You get to see other parts of the world, some beautiful golf courses out there. I love the DP world tour, but I'm not exactly like tuned into what's actually happening. It's more or less just like, wow, that course looks really cool. I'd like to play there someday. It's, you know, somewhere in South Africa or something, somewhere you're never probably going to get the chance to go to. So it's nice to see these things, but you mentioned guys coming over here and succeeding in the PGA Tour, do you attribute that? And I'm sure some of the comments you're talking about, it's not your same PGA Tour field. Is that is that the just the easy, you know, live golf stole some of these guys? So it's not your same field. Is that is that the comment sort of that you're go, you're going after? Maybe beating around the bush with. I I I think that's that's definitely part of it. I think people just don't realize that until we get the merger, everything it's going to be different, but you can't count out and say like that leaderboard was, you know, shit at the end, at the end of the day, it's, there are new players on tour there and they are showing up and they are, they are ready to compete. Their, their game is already there. You know, they're, they're, they're grinding it. They're grinding it out on the lower tours. The, what a lot of people don't understand when people make this jump from like corn Ferry or DP is the reason they don't have success on PGA isn't because they're good players. It's because they run out of money. Where, yeah, that's that's an that's an excellent point. You talk about, you know, how hard it is to get there just in and of itself. You got sponsorship. There, there's tons of things that we can go into. You, you bring up a really excellent point with uh, they run out of money. So I'm I'm looking at this this uh, leaderboard here. What did you see out of Pavan's round? What, what brought him to the uh, to the ultimate prize here, getting his first tour win? So I actually had a conversation with Jack about two weeks ago that if you go back and you just look at the past couple tournaments, Matthew Pavan has been hanging around just kind of in the shadows. They not getting a lot of coverage, anything. But you know when you when they're flashing up the board and they're showing the names, just he's caught my eye is one of the lone French players on the tour. So you see the little flag next to the name, everything, it stands out. And he's just been in that five to 15 range for like the past three tournaments before this. 
And, you know, he just got his tour card officially to come over and do this. And he was just a guy I had my eye on that I was like, oh, well, you know, for someone making the most of their initial opportunities with limit the limited opportunities they have, he's putting it together. He's making himself some money. And then this week, Wednesday to Saturday, his name just kind of stayed right in that four or five range. And so the biggest thing I'm going to lead to is consistency. The consistency was just there and impressive that, I mean, th that is the name of the game. You just have to put together consistent rounds. And then if you watch, um, what really stood out to me is the back nine was really eating people up. You know, people were going low on the front nine. They make the turn. And the back nine is you're seeing doubles every everywhere from players struggling. His front, his front nine, he shot three under. His back nine, he shot even. And the, the name of the game in this, again, consistency. He got himself to the top of the board. Aside from the little blunder, you know, on 17, pulling the putt, obviously nerves just overthought it. It, it was very clear with that putt for the lone bogey he had on the back was up until then he had parred every hole out and he was, he was just staying put at one point, you know, he had a three shot lead. He was making people come catch him that were, I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm not going to go too far outside of my rhythm. I'm just going to get up and down, get moved to the next hole and make people come catch me. Yeah. This tournament Ross, we had, a, a couple of really interesting things happen. And, and you made note of this uh, very early on, and it was, it was widely talked about uh, the differences between the North and the South course in terms of scoring. Um, and and I, I want you to comment on that in just a minute, but as we sort of just wrap a bow around uh, Pavad winning this one, did you get nervous on 18 when he hit that tee shot into the bunker and he didn't exactly have the greatest out of the bunker. I think that was a pitching wedge he went to. Um, ball did not go very far. Put himself in sort of a troubling position there in the rough. Had to go over the water. Landed on the green. I think he he, he probably had maybe his shot of the tournament there. I think that's probably arguably one of the most impressive things I saw this weekend because – as soon as he comes out of that bunker, I was, I was, this has bogey, double bogey written all over it. If you make one small minor miscue coming out of that rough there, cause you're talking, you're in the water or you're, you're overshooting the green potentially if you club up too far. Um, I thought he, he handled that impressively, but were you worried when he, when he came out of that bunker as much as I was? So when they made when they made that turn, the you knew with like Hoygaard and Jaeger that they were going to try to bomb the ball, get it as far down there on that par five where they could be on the green into. And at that point, you're just thinking if you're Pavan, you're just you're just trying to hold. You have a one shot lead. The worst, you know, the absolute worst is maybe you par that par this hole and. Realistically, at the time, only Hoygaard had a good chance to catch him. And you think, well, if Hoygaard knocks down a birdie, we're going we're gonna to go play, you know, a, a playoff. That's fine. They bomb the ball off the tee, and then Pavon goes in the bunker. And I go, all right, well, not ideal. But, you know, we can hit a nice we can hit a nice little layup here. The only thing you can't do is miss the fairway with this punch out. And the second he hit it, I don't know if you heard, 
was were listening to the commentating team, but the second he hit it, they're like, he can do basically anything but, oh, but do that. And it just disappeared in that rough. <laughs> and they're just like, yep, that was literally the one thing he couldn't do there. And then he somehow nerves of steel after pulling the putt on 17 where you could see he's nervous out of nowhere he pulls out another wedge and nails that thing to seven and a half feet for a birdie i was amazed i i was i was quite amazed with that because you know this is now the second week in a row where you've got a, a first time winner on tour coming down to that last hole where they had some miscues getting to the green and just, I mean, think back last week, Dunlap um, put himself in a, in a very precarious situation. And I thought, here we go again. Um, but this time I, I did, I had zero faith that he was going to be able to close the deal on that. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was the difference in scoring. You brought this up uh, a couple of times over the past weekend, um, the differences between scoring and, and North and South. Uh, what did you see there? Because the discrepancies were somewhat alarming. Yeah, it, 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 to be honest, it wasn't even freaking close. I believe the score, the last stat I saw, the scoring on the north course was like 133 under par. The scoring on the on the south course was like three over. <laughs> That's wild to me. Just absolutely yes. wild. Then again, two completely different courses here, Ross. But um, did you think that there was any benefit to days in which guys played, um, you know, north versus south? Or was this more or less in your mind just going to be, you know, you, you run up your score on your day on, on, on the north course here? This really came down to – if you took advantage of your 18 on the North course, when you, when you got there, if you were able to take advantage of it, I think the per, I think the perfect example um, that I saw was I would say I'm blockhead, Michael block getting to like five under and then going, getting to like five under uh, and playing the South course, sitting at five under gets through, gets through the first nine makes the turn. Michael Block finished the round at one over. I know you're a huge Michael Block guy. Uh, I didn't really follow much of of his rounds. I, I'm just looking at uh, Pavan here um, as as we it, come it, back it, to it. it. But it's more it's more just how much that South Course ate people alive. Where you know Michael Block took advantage of playing the North Course, got himself to like five under, played played really well on the South Course till the turn. And then shoots six over on the back nine and misses the cut outright. You you can't do that. <laughs> that's that's yeah. that's just rough. That's just and absolutely just rough. Eating people, but it it was a perfect example of just how it was eating people alive. And you know, it's it was not a surprise if you go back and look at the guys that were at the top of the leaderboard, how well how low they went when they played the North Course. That's where they got a lot, a lot of their steam, and they weren't able to work their way up the board. And then they just played consistent the last, you know, the last couple of days to end when playing the South Course. Hey, take advantage of of what you're given. We're going to get the same thing this week, Ross. 
it's going to yep. be a little bit different. I, I think it's it's probably a good transitionary point as we talk about two different courses, same event, to talk a little bit about this next week's AT&T Pro-Am, Ross. Um, we're going to Pebble Beach, Spyglass Hill, two very iconic golf courses. Um also, what are your thoughts here? Let's let's get into let's get into the AT and T because we've got so much other uh, in the golf world to talk about tonight here. Yeah. So for so first thing is yes, we are at Pebble Beach. They are playing two courses: Pebble Beach, regular Pebble Beach, and Spyglass Hill. Which, for what most people don't know, is Spyglass Hill is actually considered even tougher than Pebble. Um, basically, they are playing two of the toughest courses in the world on the same week. Uh, on separate days. Um, Pebble Beach is most notably known for having the smallest greens in the world. Um, I, I think the, I think I was reading the average size of the, of these greens um, is just 35, 3,500 square feet. And um all those greens for Pebble Beach are also surrounded by 118 bunkers throughout the course. So this is if you don't hit if you are not hitting straight, you are not in the fairway, you go anywhere and you miss this green, you are going to have a terrible terrible day. That makes for interesting things to happen throughout uh throughout the weekend here. Uh and and you mentioned Spyglass Hill obviously the, the tougher course of these two, they're only going to have to play this once. You're going to see mm-hmm. guys get very comfortable with Pebble Beach probably by around Sunday. Anybody? There's This is a no-cut event. We've got, uh, we've got a stacked field. Uh, but you, you mentioned one thing. You, you're going to have to hit this ball straight. There's, there's plenty of guys here. I, I'm thinking of one of them right now who's – arguably the favorite, if not the favorite in betting ads. And I've watched him play a couple rounds where he gets himself in trouble not finding the fairways. So this should be, I think, at least my hope, is it's the most entertaining golf we've seen thus far. It's going to have to top uh, Nick Dunlap winning uh, just two weeks ago. He's in the field this week. That's going to be exciting. There's Rory McIlroy, that's the guy I was alluding to just a minute ago. Coming back, it's got, okay. You you can you can fangirl. I'm gonna fangirl, fangirl over it. I'm, I I love Rory. I love Rory. That's you know I'm, I'm making that official right here on this podcast right now. Crack him. Um, I, I probably will lay some money on Rory. I believe I looked at him plus seven fifty right now. Um, entering the week on on FanDuel, uh, but he's not the only one who's gonna be playing in his first event on the PGA tour this season. There's a couple other guys, Ross, who else we got in this field? Uh, we got Tommy Fleetwood's finally coming back over from DP world tour. Um, we're getting, we're getting Victor Hovland's coming, coming back. We're going to see Jordan Spieth. Uh, you know, the field, this field is limited where normally we see about hundred, 150 players for a PGA tournament for the first couple of days. They made this select event for a signature event. There's only 80, hence there is no cut this week. Everyone's making some money. <laughs> believe this is so. Fitzpatrick's first, too, as well. Yes. Yes, we're getting a lot of guys that have spent the first beginning of the season overseas playing DP because the Dubai events and everything, the purses are big, so I get it that they want to go out there and also sp- sponsorship things that are required of them to play certain events. 
this is going to be our first full field of really seeing a true PGA tour. I'm excited. I don't know about you. This is, it's, it's sort of reminiscent to me of the FedEx cup playoffs that we just saw last, uh, last fall um, or late summer. Uh, if you want to, if you want to say late summer, fall ish, and know it's not fall golf, but uh, this is probably the most excited I've been since uh, the BMW championship time. Um, just absolutely stacked field. Do you have any picks early on Ross? I know Jack is Jack is traditionally the guy that's going to give you all of these bets. I'm I've, I've got my couple names that I'm going to throw out there in just a second, but uh, I'm going to hand it over to you because uh, you've been doing this with Jack a little bit longer than I have and my picks. I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly follow or tail me as if I was Jack Bushman. I'm, I'm putting disclaimers out there. I am not a golf betting advisor. I am just here to uh, fill in and make some picks for him. And you know I'm picking Rory. That's already there. Um, Jack will not advise you to do that, I'm sure. But uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the, my drawing board here. I'm going to give you your time to uh, throw out a couple of picks here. Uh, I, do, I do like Victor Hovland this week uh, at uh, – Plus one, plus one twenty. Uh, f- that's a f- fair bargain for Victor here as well. Um, is the only other one that really stood out in terms of a fair value. Is I don't know if you're aware, but Justin Rose is the defending champion of this event, and right now we got Justin Rose at plus seven hundred. That's not bad. That's not bad. He's plus seven hundred. Yes. What uh, what book are you looking at? Uh, I'm looking at the at the combination. So it it's got a little bit little bit of everything where they're wrapping it up into. It's just uh, a Vegas insider. Okay. And no, I was just they, curious. I'm looking at FanDuel right now, so I wanted to uh, to sort of base set that because let, I've I've got Rory it. plus seven fifty right now at uh, at FanDuel, and that's that's win only. Um, oh, and well, if we're if we're going uh, with FanDuel, they got Justin Rose at plus eleven hundred. There you go. There's your value. There's your value, Ross. We're as, we're as, doing as, as your as your defending champion. We're doing some work he, here. You already know he. You already know he can win there. <laughs> we're so, doing some work so. here. We just found you. We just found you a pick. Um, you know, I, I'm looking up and down this this uh, field here. Do you have any thoughts on a guy like Max Homa, who was making a little bit of a run on on Sunday or Saturday? Again, I have to correct myself. It's really easy to say to say Sunday, but Max Homa plus eighteen hundred. Um, you've seen him get hot of of late. He's been playing uh, a couple of PGA events. Um, any any thoughts on on Homa making a little bit of a run? Um. Honestly, in this early season swing to the West Coast like they normally do, I do like a lot of the California guys out, out there. So, you know, a Homa, a Cantley, a Morikawa, um, those, those are all, even a Shoffley. Those are all solid picks, especially considering this is the first real big tournament with a full field. You really can't go wrong with any of those guys. But for the value, I think Justin Rose is the defending champ for – how high those odds are that that's worth throwing some money. I mean, he, he won there last year. So 
Hey, there you go. I, I know these weren't these weren't as, as in depth as as Mr. Bushman likes to make them, but I'm trying my best here, Ross. I'm, I'm trying to trying to fill this seat. Um, I'll, I'll throw one other one out there. Uh, Justin Thomas. If we're going to go further down the board, uh, FanDuel plus twenty eight hundred. If you want to make even more money and, and throw something out there after we after we leave that area, I think. You know, although we've had so many long shots come up and win these events so far this season, that's sort of my cutoff line in terms yes. of, of in terms of looking at stuff here. I would say, uh, yeah, Justin Thomas probably where I would draw the line in terms of trying to take another long shot. That said, I will make these predictions here right now, and on Sunday it's going to be somebody below that in terms of odds with, <laughs> with something way juicier that winds up surprising all of us. At least that's how I, it's gone thus far. I don't know if you're going to get a Justin Thomas outright, but if you're able to spin any kind of deal, a Justin Thomas, like a top five, because since the ever I can, since I can the check Ryder, those odds real quick. Ever, ever since the Ryder Cup and then the FedEx Cup, FedEx Cup snub, Justin Thomas has basically um, – failed to finish at, or is basically not failed at finishing outside the top five in every event since then. Plus plus five fifty right now. So it's not, it's not as juicy as the, uh, as the outright, but uh, they're definitely, they're definitely looking at them for, for top five here. Those odds are, are a little bit higher than I would have expected. Yes. So I, I think if you're look if you're looking to throw down some money on on some of the higher ones, maybe maybe throw in a Justin Thomas top five and just cut and basically cover yourself on on your board on your board in general, because I think that's highly likely that we're gonna see JT return in the same fashion in the past several tournaments he's played since reworking himself. He's been a top five player in every tournament. You're you're making me feel a little bit better about the names I'm throwing out here as we do this. I mean, this is this is my golf debut, Ross. So I'm I'm just I'm flying blind, um, and and you're agreeing. So if I, if I say something stupid, just tell me that's that's a terrible pick. Don't do that, and we'll and we'll go from there. Um, Tony, I I have no room to talk on picks because everything everything that me and Jack have said this entire week has been nowhere in the ballpark because we've had a long shot underdog win every single week out of nowhere. There so. we go. And that's, that's the beauty of golf betting, isn't it? Yep. That's it's fantastic. Um, anything else that you're looking forward to this weekend um, in terms of the AT&T Pro-Am? I know this is going to be a little bit different of an event than it has in the past. You, you sort of prefaced that with me and I've, you know, I've been looking at this, but the, uh, the Pro-Am event is actually going to only be two days instead of all four, as I believe it has been in the past. I hear they're going to do a little ceremony on Friday. Um, I haven't seen the list of those in the, uh, the amateur side. Do you know if you've got, uh, have you, have you seen anybody that's in the, uh, the amateur field yet? I, I have not seen the amateur field released for sure like who is going to be in real quick but i did but we can expect the normal you know you're gonna get the great bill murray is gonna be there um i the one i don't know if we're gonna see or not the defending champion for this event for the amateur is aaron Rodgers. i so i don't know if you're gonna see him compete 
based on everything that's happened to him this year. To I think you know, he'll he, he'll be there. You know, he's he's got to compete in something, right? Yeah, I, I could see him going out and just playing golf for two days and trying to keep the trophy. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I've got a field list from the uh, from the pro am. I think. Oh no, this is just the the regulars. Um, Sometimes I can I can grab a field list real quick. They have not yet released the uh, official amateurs uh, for the event yet, but uh, when that does come out, I'll be curious to see if if one Aaron Rodgers is is competing in this. But it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me, man. It it really wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, he he needs something to fill his time. So maybe he'll go defend that title. Who knows. Who knows? I have no idea who to pick for that event right now because we don't have a list for it. But if uh, if he's on that, you know, I've I've seen him in the match, watched him golf a couple of times. I think, uh, you know, you, you would stand a good shot. Bill Murray, as you said, will likely be there. Um, but we can't really comment on much at this point because we don't know who's going to be there. I did see a little bit on the uh, LPGA side. They did have their event down in Florida. I believe that was last week. You had uh, Blackhawks legend, Jeremy Roenick out there. Uh, Brian Baumgartner, also known as uh, Kevin from the office was down there. I saw him uh, hit a pin seeker out of a bunker. So if he's playing in this, I I know he's got some golf skills, Um, but it'll be interesting to see. It's, it's, Florida versus California. I know those guys can get around on, on some jets real quick, but um, you know, a lot of those guys like playing closer to home sometimes as well. So it'll be interesting to see who winds up in that Ross. That's pretty much all I have for AT&T. Uh, we've got a bunch of other news to get to. And I know that you, you drew up this, this lovely um, rundown for us before we hopped on here. Uh, what's, what's our next topic of discussion? So just a cool little thing um, that I think flew under the radar for a lot of people, but just cool to note, the Hoygaard twins. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> Rasmus and Nikolai both finishing second, respectively, on the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour a day apart. Just awesome, man. I mean, they're they're literally identical twins. It was, it was cool. I know I was texting you a little bit over the weekend, like, holy shit, you know, Rasmus is solo second in dp right now and nikolai's t2 in the final pairing on on saturday right now just just absolutely incredible especially when nikolai making the jump to the pga tour this year there was a lot of rumor of him potentially going to live so i think it was positive for him to make the jump and you know already locked up locked down a, set, a solo second in the and only his third start on on PGA tour. Hey, that's some some weird twin shit, man. I'm always amazed at what twins are able to do. You see them in hockey play on the same line. In in mm-hmm. golf tournaments, they're finishing in the same positions halfway across the world from each other. Just interesting dynamic there. I mean, that's not the first time two twins have done something completely newsworthy or just, just weird. I don't, I don't know how to describe that, but man, uh, very, they have to be very proud parents uh, to, to watch (laughs) their kids grow up 
and and both compete at that type of level. No matter what sport it is, whether it's golf, hockey, football, baseball, um, you know, to to see both of them sort of excelling at the at the pinnacles of of, of sport um, on the same weekend like that has to be a very uh, happy family group chat going on uh, there since uh, since Saturday. I can only imagine that those parents are absolutely exhausted considering the time difference between the two tournaments. I doubt their parents friggin' were able to sleep to, you know, watch Nikolai finish up on Saturday. And then as soon as Nikolai finishes up, well, Rasmus is about to go on DP. I mean, there's, there's worse situations to be in as a parent. I'm sure they, uh, they had many sleepless nights with with two young twins when they were growing up. So maybe, maybe they were well prepared for it. Not one, but two. So um, just, just awesome for them. I think that was an excellent, cool note um, to drop on here, Ross. Uh, what else we got next, man? Uh, so one thing that just unfortunate timing for me and Jack, because we spent all last weekend or week talking about it. Like the day after we talked about it, Nick Dunlap declared and turned pro, decided to forego his the remainder of his career at Alabama and is now in the field this week. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about it made sense for him to make the jump right now because with his win, he already locked up a card for 2025 and for 2026. But by going now, he essentially gets a third year card right right now he's in all the signature events and he's locked himself into all the majors so it really just made it was more of a thing where you know you get an extra year of eligibility just by going now so it really it, it made sense it did and you know i sort of thought that this was exactly how this was going to go down i'm not sure about you but um after after that win um the, just the press conference afterwards. I was I was listening to the presser uh, in the media room, and they had they had asked him, um, you know, like what what's next on your agenda, uh, talking about different things. And and at first he said, you know, like I've I've got to go back to school. I've got to figure this out. And he sort of slipped up a little bit and was like, I got to figure out a way to get to Tory Pines, um, and then sort of like backtracked on that a little bit. And then the next morning. Um, you hear him withdraw from the, from the Tory Pines event, um, and then you get a press conference, sort of midweek, uh, where he announces that he's he's going to go pro. Uh, I, I thought this was sort of just all obvious. This is what he's going to do from the second uh, he had that press conference in the media room when they were asking him. I thought it was awesome for him to you know take that week off go back home, sort of celebrate that victory, talk with people. I'm sure he talked with his academic advisors, talked with, um, you know, his school teammates, his coach, uh, everybody there. But I think this is an excellent storyline to follow for the PGA Tour this year. And my reasoning behind that is you've seen sort of this mass exodus, not mass, but very prominent names leaving for live. And and that's obviously dominated the golf talk world, but for, for somebody like Nick Dunlap, who's an up and coming star um, in, in golf to declare early um, come on to the tour this year. 
I think you're going to see a lot of headlines from this guy. He's he's going to command a lot of media availability. He's going to be um, probably going through some growing pains. I wouldn't expect him to come out this week and you know be at the top of the leaderboard. If he is, oh my God, things are just going to accelerate for him so much faster than I think people can even comprehend. Um, but there's going to be a little bit of growing pains. On that same note, though, golf needs young stars more than it ever has right now. And having a guy like him who's already had success on the PGA Tour, he's already um, very well-spoken with, with the media. Um, I'm not sure if you've watched all the interviews yet, but um, just he reminds me of like a Connor Bedard with the Blackhawks. Here's this young kid who's coming up and mature beyond his years knows how to handle himself in these situations already. Um, I know he's he's done a lot with his collegiate career so far, but what a story this year for, for golf fans to get excited about when you've got guys like John Rahm. We'll, we'll talk about another name that, that's leaving for Liv. Um, golf needed somebody else, or PGA specifically, needed somebody else to step in here and, and be a, a household name almost for golf fans. And I think Nick Dunlap sort of fits that mold uh, very early on in his career. And that is going to be so beneficial this year for golf. And I, I, I love it. I love the decision. I don't know about you. I'll turn it over to you to, to give me your thoughts on this. But I think that there's nothing but positivity that comes from this story. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do believe it was the best decision he could make in – once again, it's, I'm just going to, you know, lean into the fact that you're getting yourself an extra year on tour, dude. You know, it's one thing you were guaranteed all next year and the year after that. This is where you can really, you know, extend your career and, and get a solid foothold with the with the bank, everything right now. And the kid just has balls of steel. You, you you can see there's ice in his veins. He's cool, calm, collected. Just the way he carried himself through through Amex, everything. Like you said, the press conferences, everything. He's just so well put together. He's way ahead of his time considering he's only 20. That I even went and said in my article, I'm not going to be surprised to see Nick Dunlap go and win another event at some point this summer. I wouldn't be either. I'm I'm not counting on it coming at AT&T at Pebble Beach and, and Spyglass, but um, I could definitely see him uh, taking another event as well, Ross. I think that, uh, you know, from what was on display just last week, um, there's, there's definitely something there. All right, man. What else do we have here? I know that there's, there's some, some other big news that we've got to talk about. Um, so just really briefly, the PGA board was was announced yesterday. Um, and so basically all that is, is, you know, the players, like accountability board that work with the tour officials, um, commissioners, and essentially make decisions for the betterment of the game moving forward. Now, the key to this is most of these players' terms do not start until 2024. These people have just been picked is the new the new members but really what stood out to me that i want to talk about it is you know what we've seen from these like tour accountability boards um you've normally seen like rory McIlroy, 
Tiger Woods, Jordan Spieth, the top top of the board guys. Um, what I found interesting is I'm just going to read off a couple of these names. I found this new step forward with this new PGA trying to go in a new direction. They basically covered all bases and they went through a variety of players at different points and levels in their career. So just a couple of to name off like Sam Burns, Nick Hardy, Mackenzie Hughes, Grayson Murray, who just won Adam Shank, Kevin Streelman, Justin Thomas, Camille Viegas. That's a name. It's not, it's not just the top, the guys that are at the top of the board every week that are winning, making a good living on the tour. They went and they extended the olive branch out to guys that are grinding week by week, just trying to keep their card. They pick some of those guys and put them and put them on this board so it can be an all around issue addressed and make sure that they're touching the game as a whole, that we're not just, you know, leveling the money to the front of the field. Like, let's make sure if a guy makes the cut and gets there, he's being compensated correctly for his effort so he can continue the dream. And I, I thought that was just the most interesting thing when you looked at that list is that they did spread it out and they did go through through a variety of different types of players and different skill levels, because you do have your PGA tour winners and major champions in there, but you also now have the guys like even Lanto Griffin guys that are, have just been grinding it out on the PGA for years now. And, you know, they're, they're not a household name, but they have fought and worked their asses off to stay on tour this long. Those guys are now being recognized and have a spot at the table. So, again, I prefaced this before we really got into anything. Um, haven't been watching PGA Tour golf uh, my whole life. I'm, I'm fairly new to this. So, um, you know, I was I was aware of the Player Advisory Board, but this seems very new to me. So for the new golf fan, how much of a change was this to include names like that, Ross? How how important is these non-household names to that advisory board? What do you think the PGA is going to get out of including those voices in the room? So the best example I can give for this is now I just said Grayson Murray has been named as a member of that board. I don't know if you remember, but last summer at the RBC, they had the players only meeting where essentially they addressed the live merger and everything. And they laid out like what the new structure and format and how people were going to get paid. And essentially the structure that was offered was just hanging out the low, the low hanging fruit out to dry. Um, and a player stepped up in that meeting and basically called for Jay Monahan to resign right then and there to which that player was told by Rory McIlroy, his player advocate, just play better to which this player responded to Rory and told him to fuck off in this meeting. That player was Grayson Murray, who is now on this accountability board. And Rory is no longer on that board. No. It's R- from Rory stepped, Rory stepped down um, following the PGA season. Yeah. As, so the, as we, as we would expect. Right. The whole, the whole thing is, is, is quite intriguing. Um, at least to, to somebody who's just stepping into this world. But it, it also lends some some concerns from someone just from the outside. And maybe this is a, 
a, a dumb, naive question, but I would assume that there are multiple guys who normally served on this same player advisory board that are now no longer on the PGA Tour. They're elsewhere making a lot more money. Yes. That's, that's yeah. yeah, that's what I figured. But I, I think it was a, a, a good olive branch, as, as you mentioned, uh, to include some of these names because those are the guys who have been loyal to the tour for their career. Um, and haven't made that jump. Um, and and I, I think it makes sense because, you know, as we'll move on to our next subject in a minute to about what's going on with Liv, I think it helps protect the PGA and keep it a little more wholesome, where when you have players like Grayson Murray and Lanto Griffin on this board, realistically, those guys are talented golfers by a PGA standard. You're not gonna get those guys, you know, to get Liv's attention. They're they're just never gonna, and I'm not using that as like a way to shoot these guys down. Just they're not the draw that Liv wants for the people that they're taking. So this is like a security more for the PGA over time that you know this guy's gonna be around, and it's good to have these type of people on the board because because of where their careers are and that they are lifers. They're at this point, most of them are just trying to hang on and stay competitive as best as they can. So I think it's good that we spread where, yes, we have players like Max, Max Homa and Justin Thomas are on this board, but to also cover bases, we're also keeping PGA lifers, people that you know there is no chance they are really ever going to a rival tour of any sort. Yeah, it's an interesting move, and, and we'll have to see what comes of it throughout the year, but um, I, I found that interesting. It's just definitely something that was um, when when you see a player advisory board, typically um, within any league, uh, it, it generally has some of the biggest names within the sport, obviously uh, mix it up a little bit. But I, I feel like they were catering uh, this one a little bit more towards guys who, as you said, aren't exactly the draw names, but they're the guys who are going to be in a ton of these fields. They're not guys that are, jetting off to Dubai <laughs> and playing so, the first so, first couple of events guys, on, on the DP world tour. They're, they're, they're PGA guys. I was going to say some, some of the guys that are on this board are trying to figure out if they can get a jet to next week's tournament, let alone, can they get to another country right now? So I think that's a solid foundation to have moving forward because you are, you know, encompassing all aspects of the tour itself, players at all ends, will have an opinion and be able to speak out on changes and things that are made moving forward as fingers crossed we approach a new deal it it, it impacts them almost more than your big names so i think that's important i thought i thought that was a good move ross let's 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 get to the let's get to the big one here let's do it so the big one that you and I woke up this morning and both shot each other text right away that, well, there's another topic we got to add to the list. Yesterday, Tyrrell Hatton announced that he was going to play this week's AT&D at Pebble Beach. And then we woke up this morning to find out that he took $50 million or $60 million and now he's part of it. Did you see this one coming? He's been rumored there for a very long time. 
There's been a lot of guys, though, that have been rumored for a very long time to be making this jump. Um, I mean, let's let's think about his draw, right? He is he's the golfer's golfer, right? He's out there swearing up and down. He's swear, he's not a he's not a John Daly by any stretch of the imagination, but he's somebody that uh, you know commands the camera when he's out on the golf course. It's the best way I can put it. The camera's going to be around him. They're going to interview him, whether he has the worst round of his life or the best round of his life. And and just a couple of weeks ago, I believe he had one of the greatest rounds of his life and still was unhappy with it. He's he's a media guy. Um, I, I was not surprised by this because that's exactly what Live Golf wants. It's sort of the death knell to the PGA, right? It's, hey, we're going to command all of the guys that we can put on television because they're out there trying to secure more airtime everywhere they go. So he he made a lot of sense to me to be a target. I think it was $60, 63000000 million. That's life-changing what, money. Well, I think you it, gave it, me a figure. What did he make, Twenty eight on on the PGA it, Tour in his time there? It, it, He's made he's made a little over twenty eight million dollars in five years on the PGA Tour, which one thing that was speculated when he was first rumored to be going a few weeks ago is that they approached him with an offer and it just it wasn't much of a difference maker for him. Like realistically, he probably could make about that much over the next five years on tour. Just and just the scrutiny and everything of going to live wasn't enough of a draw, and then. You know, live season starts this week, and as of this morning, they didn't have a complete roster. They were still they still had open spots, so it looks like this was a late night business call, telling him here's your new number. And you know, with only making 28 million over five years on tour, they gave him 60 million to come right now. So they essentially, you know, went and basically doubled his career earnings overnight for him to come play. At that point, it makes sense. And like you said, he is one of those drawing players where, especially if you're a new golf fan, he is one of the favorites. He is fun to watch that he's just self-ridiculing every single shot, swearing at, swearing at himself that he basically did exactly what he wanted to, but he didn't do it good enough. And so, you know, he's an effing piece of shit that I yeah. hit, I hit I mean, it to eight feet, not five. It's it's definitely, you know, I've played enough rounds of golf with, you know, other people here, even at ONTAP Sportsnet. It's, uh, it kind of reminds me of Ron Luce out there on the golf course. You know, he's, he's going to get upset at a, a shot here yeah. or there, and it's there's going to be a reaction. And, you know, there you go. You're, that's what you want, though. You want some, some viral moments that are going to hit the Internet, and people can talk about them. That's marketable. And he's a marketable guy, so I'm just I'm just curious if if you've seen any further details on this. I haven't dug into it too far yet, but is there a, a term on this? Sixty million up front? Is it over five years? I'm I'm I really am, curious how this breaks down. I have not seen um, details yet of like what the term is. I know their main thing is they just wanted to get get him signed and get him on so he can complete John Rom's team. So they can all tee off this weekend for the first live event in Mayakoba. Uh, there you go. I, I'm I'm really curious to see what some of the 
the terms are on these deals and what happens when a guy's live contract expires if somebody tries to make the reverse jump back over to PGA. Again, all pending if there's an actual merger and players can, you know, are, are free to, you know, go back and forth between these things. But I'm waiting for that first guy and see how that goes because it's going to be a – very life-changing moment in in terms of the golf landscape at at, at this juncture. But um, you know, if it's if it's a two-year sixty million versus you know six-year sixty million, that's that's a huge huge difference in terms of mm-hmm. how long you're locked up. Ten million AAV is is a lot different than uh, thirty million. So it's really it's. <laughs> a lot of these things aren't disclosed. I'm very interested in that. Just, you know, baseball contract, football contract. How long are these guys locked up for? I don't think a lot of that has been made public. Yeah. A a lot of it doesn't a lot, a lot of it, they just throw us figures and they tell us how, you know, how much someone got bought for where regular guys like you and me sitting here go, well, fuck yeah, I would go do that too. If they offered me that (laughs) like, yeah. Right. But is it, is it a lifetime deal? Is it a, two-year deal some of that stuff has to come into play i'm surprised that uh and again it's if if live golf doesn't want to disclose that they don't have to there's there's really no governing body telling them that they need to do so but i'm i'm very curious to know like what exactly are they are they signing for uh because that could totally change the trajectory of of what's really going on here that's just my thought yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that's one thing that gets lost in all this is that we just tend to get told and reported numbers and figures. We don't actually see like you know, how does it how is that extrapolated over the next several seasons though? Right? You know, are they getting? Are they getting? Is he getting like a, getting cut a sixty million dollar check right now, all up front, and then make it work for the next five years? I, I don't know. Yeah, and that's that's really changes the whole, you know landscape of of what's going on here because hey 60 million up front how how long is he playing for um i'm sure there's other cash prizes that that come along with uh some of these tournaments as well are these just signing bonuses versus you know here's what your salary is because some of these guys can go and you know depending on the purse sizes signature events what's going on with pga i know they're trying to stay competitive in this market they have to they don't have a choice um, or they'd lose everyone, but it, it really does matter. And, and I think at some point we'll start to get some of those bits and, and details of, of what's going on here. It's just not going to be anytime soon. Well, well, that's what actually that statement you just gave is perfect because it will actually tie it ties this current subject with the last subject and the one we're about to talk about is that player accountability board was designed because the PGA's initial plan to compete with live was obviously making the purses higher for the winners. Right. But what that involved was the guys at the bottom that, you know, I finished 79th, but I made the cut. I'm getting less money because the guy at the top is getting more. That's where this accountability board came into that. Why the hell do I get punished? I still made the cut. I need, I have bills and stuff that keep me alive in my career life. You can't tell me because I made the cut. I still make less money. And now it turns into lit live buying off all these players, which brings us to our final subject that happened relatively quickly before you and I jumped on 
that it looks like the PGA is about to close a deal with the sports consortium, including Fenway Sports Group, led with a large investment by Steve Cohen, rumored to be putting in about $3 billion directly into the tour. Holy cash. That's it, that's that's something. And this was a name I asked you before we hopped on here because we both saw this news uh, just a little bit before we uh, hit the hit the go live button. But I didn't see his name anywhere around any of these deals at all until this afternoon. Yeah, that's it, uh, the same thing. I know you and I have been texting off camera about it for a few weeks now that we initially kind of saw this i I would say probably mid-december around christmas it was shown that this was kind of coming to fruition and the only names we really saw were like arthur blank from the atlanta falcons and we knew like john henry and the fenway sports group were those are the two main parties basically leading the this forward trying to cut a deal to you know, funnel some money directly into PGA right away. And then out of nowhere, it drops that it looks like it's going to happen. It looks like it's going to happen soon. And it's going to be Uncle Stevie from the clouds dropping three billion. Yeah. And I mean, he's he's no stranger to doing that. I mean, this is from the New York Post. Um, I'll just read this a little snippet of it off real quick, Ross. Uh, PGA Tour is close to closing in on a three billion dollar investment that may not include rival live golf uh, strategic sports group led by Fenway sports group, including Mets owner, Steve Cohen's Cohen private ventures, along with Atlanta Falcons owner, Arthur blank and former Milwaukee bucks co-owner Mark Lazary is set to make a historic investment. And this is all according to Bloomberg uh, with some additional money coming in from uh, the, the PIF. Uh, it could set a new valuation of the newly created for-profit PGA Tour Enterprises at around $12 billion. That's a pretty hefty valuation. There's obviously some cash here. You talked a l- just a little bit about uh, the um, you know higher purses and everything. There's been some sponsorship issues with the PGA thus far that have already been reported. You've got you know Wells Fargo pulling out. I believe Farmers is also reportedly uh, pulling out uh, on their event yeah. as well. So they're going to need a lot of cash to back some of these events. Um, I would imagine uh, for corporate sponsors, uh, you know, if you can lessen what their monetary investment needs to be by just a little bit um, with some private equity investments, that it will lessen that burden. And you, you might get, uh, you know, maybe you've got to put up 30, 70%, depending on who you're dealing with. But that should save some of these events and, and save some money out of their pockets. Um, the, the interesting part that I got out of this, Live Golf chairman uh, was reportedly unhappy with the involvement of private equity money since it felt like Live Golf was no longer at the center of the talks, according to CBS Sports. They've got to be fuming at, at, at this juncture because we've already talked about them stealing, you know, top talent just talked about Hatton moving over what they're trying to do. I don't know where you stand in terms of live versus PGA or, or how anybody who listens to the show feels. I'm just giving my raw unfiltered opinions. They came in when they started this league, they wanted to be the center of golf. They still want to be the center of golf. And when PGA goes out and gets 
an angel investor, basically, which is what's happening here with Steve Cohen. A lot of negotiating and a lot of leverage just vanished in a single afternoon. At least that's what it looks like to me. I think that's great for the PGA. I think that's phenomenal. Um, on the other end, there's there's other people out there who some are fans of Steve Cohen, others are not. But the the fact that it's facing some criticism still due to some PIF involvement and and PIF being so tied in with with Liv, this is one of the most intriguing deals, in my opinion, in probably the last century of, of sports league investment money um, that's coming in. So there's going to be a lot written about this over the next few days. There's going to be a lot talked about this over the next few days. Um, it'll be interesting to see what transpires uh, before we get to uh, Thursday when the AT&T Pro-Am kicks off, because I'm sure it's going to be a huge topic in media circles. Um, I'm looking at the uh, the media availability here, and it you know they've got a pending uh, interview with Rory. I can't wait to see what he has to say about this. Yeah, I mean, I mean the the biggest thing is I don't think Piff is out of this by any means. The only thing I think this does is it drives the price up on Piff of what the PGA is going to request in donation. Realistically. I think they were looking to get about $7 billion in funding put into the tour. I think it's going to be a seven flat ask out of PIF for them. And, but I think it is going to come with, if they're willing to come and, and make that deal, they will get a big part of, they will get a big part of a seat at the table. But I think that this essentially drove the number up for trying to give the PGA leverage. I, I will say the only thing that concerns me is with Piff's money with Liv, they they have unlimited funds. They they the money just is a non-existent thing to them for how much money they have. That this buys the PGA Tour time. This does not rectify and solve every single problem, but this buys time for us to. I mean, ideally, we still want to get it done by the masters. We just want to put it to bed. What's this new? for-profit entity look like but it does help the players with security maybe you get a few less players looking at making that jump but it doesn't fix everything right now but i am sure it probably just pissed the saudis off for for sure that they realize they're not going to have as big of a seat at the table as they initially thought they were going to because there's a third entity involved in this now but and the, we'll, the, we'll see the, though ross i mean steve cohen that's that's a big name who else? Who else potentially could jump in and and eat a little bit? We didn't have him on our radar twenty four hours ago. Steve no. Cohen's got a got a, a large rolodex of phone numbers. I'm sure if if Piff wants to play a little hardball, you've got a big player at the table now. In in terms of all of this, that could change very quickly with a couple of phone calls. I'm I'm sure that uh, you know if Tyrell Hatton was doing late night business calls. Steve Cohen knows how to make late night business calls as well. So that's, I'm just throwing out your devil's advocate here. Um, you, you bring in names like this, things can get very interesting very fast. Oh, de definitely. I think the biggest thing that this is going to help solve, though, is going to be the sponsorship. Because um, I don't know if 
how familiar you are were these new ridiculous purses for oh, yeah. the, the PGA are coming from. They are borrowing against future assets. The reason that you're having farmers and Wells Fargo and stuff pull out is because they're already sponsoring the events for the next like two to three years. It's when they get their asking price for 2027, they're going, there's no freaking way I'm paying that because the price went up that they're betting against future funds and they need to continue these future funds. That's why you're seeing all these sponsors that have been around basically the entire our entire lifetime growing up. These events are going to change their names and sponsorship because they're borrowing funds too far in the future. The asking price is going up 73% on some of these tournaments to where the company that sponsored it for the last 30 years goes, yeah, we're out. Yeah, it's a, it's a very precarious spot to be in for some of these companies. I uh, I, I believe I wrote up the one on uh, on Farmers uh, over at ONTAP Sportsnet um, when they made their announcement that they were pulling out. And the prices on these things are going up in, in the near range of, of 73%. That's, that's a lot to swallow to have your corporate name on a golf event. It's not required business for them. A lot of this is, is marketing expense. So what, um, well, Wells what, are, what are you doing with it? Right? Like you're an executive at X company, not X company that could be, you know, construed as Elon Musk, but you're at B company, right? And, you're asked to now, you know, foot up 20, 30 more million dollars than what you were expecting to for your deal that you had in place for years upon years. And, you know, that's that's not just inflation money. That's that's we need to, as a PGA is asking you, we need to compete. And here's here's our set prices. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's already ugly out there in, in, the, in the U.S. economy. There's, you know, you're making layoffs and yet you're investing this type of money into to golf. You, it's it's very hard to go back to your shareholders and tell them, hey, this is what we're going to continue to do. So I understand where where that comes from, but um, for all intents and purposes, you want PGA in in a spot where they don't need to go up against the entity that is Live Golf with with Piff Saudi money that just backs it almost with a cash machine machine that just sits there and prints. So I, I was intrigued by the Steve Cohen uh, involvement here. Yeah. I, I mean, having Steve Cohen in is going to turn some things around and definitely make a difference. It's just the fact that, you know, Steve Cohen putting $3 billion in the tournament when Piff is sitting over there with $640 billion in the bank account that, that it, it's, it's, it's play money. It's fake money for them that what the, essentially they could come buy up every single PGA tour player out of spite if they wanted to, and they won't even make a dent in that bank account. They haven't yet. That's the important thing. Yes. They haven't yet. yet and that's the important. Yeah. Well, yet. Um, I'm just going to leave it on that note and maybe, you know, finish this, this beer here. Ross, this has been fantastic getting to sit here and, uh, Talk about something other than White Sox baseball or or Blackhawks hockey. It's been a very rough year in, in my podcast career. So, getting to talk a little some some PGA golf, little uh, little private equity, um, and all this other stuff that goes along with golf is normally out of my out of my depth, out of my radar. 
on on what I normally talk about on a podcast, but this has been a ton of fun. I I hope I made Jack Bushman proud on this episode. That that was my goal. Um, but uh, I'd love to do this again sometime, at least you know once or twice more this summer. Hopefully, maybe more. We'll we'll see what what comes of it. Absolutely. But this has Absolutely. been this has been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been this has been so much fun just to have some have some beers, talk golf. But Tony, do you have any final thoughts? Final thoughts? I mean, you know, it uh, golf is 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 great. I, I've re-fallen in love, I should say, with this sport over the last couple of years. Um, I'm I'm really, really excited about what we're doing here at at Golf on Tap. It's been uh it's been a really interesting year. We've launched this show. Um, some news, final thoughts. This is now going to be available in podcast form going forward on both Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're officially in there. So you can find this show uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's either of those uh, platforms. More to come soon uh, as it distributes out there. But these are going to start to get loaded up on podcast format as well as on our YouTube at ONTAP Sportsnet, youtube.com slash ONTAP Sportsnet. Um, really excited about that. Uh, we got out last year to, to not one but but two events uh, as, as credentialed reporters. I can't wait to get you out there as well uh, to one of them this summer, hopefully. Um, it just uh, the amount of golf content that I've consumed over the last year has increased over 10,000%. Um, don't plan on stopping. It's It's been incredible. I know I, I entered this whole entire thing at a really weird time uh, with all the live golf and, and piff and there's money flying around back and forth, but it's it's an exciting time. Um, I, I'm really happy to be on here doing this with you. I'm, I'm glad that you are part of the team. Jack Bushman's part of the team. Joey Ricotta is still out there giving some bets as well. I'm sure you'll hear him on these airwaves. Um, I I've, have so much uh, planned for, for this golf on tap show, Ross. I know you and I text about it all the time. Just very exciting, uh, times around here at on tap golf. So thank you for letting me come on. I appreciate it so much. Um, and I hope that everybody who tunes in and listens to the show, whether it was live in podcast form, enjoyed having me on these airwaves. Can't wait to come back, but, uh, next week I'll pass the torch back over to Jack and, uh, you guys can handle it going forward. Just, uh, Hopefully we have an exciting week of, of PGA golf out there. Pebble Beach, Spyglass Hill. Can't wait to watch um, the best tear it up on those courses this weekend. Should be super fun. Can't wait to get to Thursday, man. Thanks again for having me on. Thank you so much for, for being on the show, Tony. We really do appreciate it, and we'll definitely have you back on soon. Everyone else, have a good evening. This has been Golf on Tap.